following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Sifted. I'm telling you, if you listen with the intention of obedience and putting God's word into practice, this is going to change your life. Like we're going to learn from the disciples' faults and failures. Um, and, and please give them a ton of grace because they didn't have the Holy Spirit to see all of their, all of their bold proclamations and declarations to, to fruition. Um, but, but understand, man, that like, like we can't do anything that God's word calls us to without the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not by power or by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Man, the flesh, you, you ever been willing, wanting to do something, but it just seems beyond your capacity? And the flesh is, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Is that true? Right? And, and we see that kind of depicted in this moment. So let me just chat a little bit about like sifting. What's the purpose of sifting? Well, sifting from, can have multiple purposes, but when, what we're talking about here is, is like you're, you're trying to get rid of the chaff so that the wheat remains, right? Um, or in the case of like when you're sifting for gold, you're, you're, you're removing all of the, the, the stuff you don't want so that what, what you do want remains. And, uh, and we're here in this, this text, and the, the, the enemy is demanded to sift them, all of them, as wheat. And we know that this, this, this demand happened prior to this occasion, maybe even prior to Jesus being on the planet, because Jesus says, I have prayed for you. Right? I've prayed for you. And that is so, so incredibly comforting. So we're going to dig into this moment, and I believe we're going to learn something about ourselves, about our glorious God, and, and about like how he wants us to pray, maybe even what we should pray, and maybe what we should maybe not pray for. Um, and, and, but there's so much more to glean from this moment. So let me read for you. Now, I'm, I'm gonna t- I think I mentioned that there's four gospel accounts on this moment. Uh, John, as usual, has a, a more intimate and maybe a, even a, a significantly different kind of perspective because of that intimacy on this moment. But uh, Matthew and Mark, are in this particular moment, where there's usually some, some major details that are given to us in comparison, when you compare Matthew and Mark, here, they're, they're, they're almost, identical with one simple but pro- profound difference and I'll, I'll bring that out as we get to it but but um, follow with me on the screen I want you to be in Luke 22 31 to 34 but I, as I dance around to these other passages we have the benefit of having them in front of us so we can do this together okay so Matthew 26 30 to 34 now what happens here in in the opening of this passage just so we have the context is they have just finished the Last Supper. Remember, Jesus washed their feet. They were arguing about who's the greatest in this moment. They've been told that one of them is going to betray them. Judas has left the room because Jesus has basically communicated, you're the guy and what you do, do quickly. So now we're, we're down to the 11 boys and they're finishing up their, their, their Passover celebration and, and they're in Mary's house, John Mark's mom, and they're heading out the door, and they've sung a song, 
right? Uh, uh, they've, they've, they've echoed their hearts to the Lord in, pr- in prayer through song. And this is what it says. And when they had sung a hymn after the Lord's Last Supper, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So now they're on their way to a very familiar place that they would gather a lot of times. This would be the gathering point. This would be the place, oftentimes they'd spend the night there. And this is where the Garden of Gethsemane is, right? They would walk through um, uh, grapevine fields and Jesus would talk about abiding and that he's the true vine. They would, but they're gonna eventually end up uh, hours from now at a place where Jesus would pray, not once, twice, three times, asking them to watch and pray with him. And then Judas would bring this pretty large group carrying clubs and swords and torches looking to arrest Jesus. And so we're hours away here from that moment, unbeknownst to them. And, uh, and Jesus has these things to say. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. What he means is, when he says you will all, he's talking to the leaven, right? And he says, you will all fall away because of what happens to me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will scatter. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Wow, that's good news, right? He's already talking about a reunion here. Peter answered him, though they all, see we're talking about this competitive spirit amongst them. <laughs> if these guys all turn their back on you, I never, like this is what he says, though, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, you want to know the truth? I tell you this very night, hours from now, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Guys, do you know that Jesus walked through every painful experience that a human could, could have? I mean, he was betrayed. He was denied. In the moment of his greatest need for camaraderie, for support, for love, for concern, we find Peter, hours from now, following at a distance. And when, he, when he's asked if he even knows him, Right? Even if he just knows him, he says, no, not me. Not once, twice, but three times. So some thoughts. I think it's interesting that this follows an argument over who would be the greatest. Isn't that interesting? That he's talking about someone denying him and they don't know who it is, but then, I mean, uh, betraying him and then denying him. And all of that's on the heels of them saying, I'll, we'll, I'll be the great, I'm the grace. And, and Jesus is saying, you're all going to leave me. All of you. And, and, and you gotta, you got to feel, how does that, I mean, Jesus wept. Jesus got tired. Jesus had all the feelings and emotions that we walk through. I think that's interesting. And I also think it's interesting, some of the things we see in this text is leaders are targeted by the enemy. Jesus sure was, right? And now it's before this even comes to fruition, we find that the enemy is demanded to sift them. They, be, they become a target. I can tell you, like, I, I, I feel the attack on a constant basis. I mean, I know you do too as saints, but like, I'm just telling you, it intensifies for those in leadership. 
Uh, and, and he's after, the enemy is, is, is after these, these 11 men. Um, so now that they know one will betray them and Peter will deny, that's interesting, right? Jesus told them in advance that they would scatter. So let me ask a question. What, based on what we read in the text, what is their response to that? What is, what is their response to Jesus said, you guys are all going to bail out on me? They're all saying, no way. As we read the other text, we'll see. Peter's saying, I'll go to prison with you. I'll die. There's no way that I'm, that I'm, I'm, I'm going to scatter in your moment of need. No way. I'm right here and I'm staying with you. But yet they couldn't even stay awake to join him in prayer to the, to the true fight on our knees. And, and, uh, and so my question is, do you think they were sincere in that declaration? Do you think that there was intensity and sincerity in that moment when they said, I will die with you? I believe there was great conviction there. But did they have the power to see it to fruition? And did their courage wane in the midst of the trial? In the midst of, have you ever been there? Let's talk more about that in a moment. But do we only follow Jesus when it's easy? Do we? Only when it's easy and then we start doing it in our strength. Then we start following the patterns of the world. Then we start, you know, joining the... But do we only follow Jesus when it's easy? Let's be reminded that when Jesus talked about the narrow path, what, what did he say about that path that was unique? That it would be hard. That it would be hard. Right? And that, 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 that there would be adversity and there would be, there would be resistance. Right? And Jesus modeled all of that. And we're told in James, you know, count up your joy, my brothers, when you face trials the testing of our faithful father, like when you face trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith develops pure perseverance and perseverance must finish its work that you're mature and complete, not lacking in anything. What we're told in that, and that will come back to us later in this sermon, is that, 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 that we're called to have a joyful, pure joyful response to adversity because this is the catalyst. This is the environment for maturity. And we're called to know that God is up to something great here in us. And so often we're praying, God, take this from me. When God says, I, I mean, what did he say to Paul? When Paul says, man, I'm begging you, God. Like, this is my third time. I'm begging you, take this thorn from my flesh, man. Take it. And he says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Right? And, and what is stated before that is, it, Paul says, to keep me, because he's talking in retrospect here, he says, to keep me from becoming conceited, prideful, arrogant, to keep me from being conceited about surpassing great revelation. He had been given great advantage, and so have we. But to keep him humble, the Lord had given him a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. That was the enemy's desires to discourage him in the midst of this thorn. But he, he says to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul's response is, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that Christ's power might rest on me. Do you know that we're given an amazing secret here? Like, have you ever boasted in your weaknesses? Have you ever boasted in, in, in a way of acknowledging that I can't, but he can? 
and, 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 and stating like, man, I'm actually boasting about this because I'm confident in my humility, God shows his greatness, his power. And is that not, let me ask a question, is that not a contrast to the human behavior and the human's response, right? And that's what we're called to by the Holy Spirit is to actually boast in our weaknesses, to actually embrace the narrow path that, is, that we've been told is hard because it's in that path that we grow and come to know. And when we avoid and we're asking God, which, is, which I hear is a lot of our prayers sometimes, is God, get me out of this. Take, take this away from me. Remove this, right? And God's going, no, no, I, I authored that. Let me ask you a question in the midst of this as you grapple with that concept is did God author Jesus' steps to perfection? And did Jesus, as an example to us, walk out the Father's will, right? Like ideally? And l- let me ask a question. What, was it hard? Was it painful? Was any of it, did, it was, did he suffer? And yet, wait, wait a second, God authored that step? He, he, he allowed his son to go through that? Why? Because, look, one, it's an example. He, he modeled it for us. But secondly, this is the road that's marked out for us. We're living in enemy territory. We're, we have resistance and we're called to in, embrace those opportunities in his strength for his glory. Because you know what happens when we do? Let me tell you, there's two things. One, we grow. We grow through through the fire because God's agenda is to, like his fire is not to burn us, but to define us by refining us. That's his heart. But if you think that God's beating me and he's after me and he's ruining my life, you don't know him. You don't know his heart. His heart here is actually, what is God's purpose in the saint's life? Romans, Charles said, Romans 8, 29, to conform us to the image of Christ. What's necessary for that to happen? Right? Like we got to be in the, in, in the potter's hands. And that means that I've got to be yielded to, to what, what he's forming, not what I'm wanting. And a lot of times we're, we're praying for, you know, God, would you please conform to my will? Right? And, and he is saying, would you, would you trust me? And let me fashion you into what I've always purposed you to be. And, and, and let me promise you, as he's promised in the scripture, that it's, it's, it's going to hurt sometimes. Because you know what's hurting is that, and you, you know what makes it easier is when, is when we submit and when we yield and when we obey. Like we're not wrestling with God on these things. When, when we want what he wants, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And then you want what he wants and then we join the Holy Spirit. Right, we talked about humility last week. Most of us don't want to be humble. If we're honest, pride is, a, is something our flesh feeds on, our world celebrates. But yet that's the agenda of the Holy Spirit is to make us humble because humility is the catalyst of forgiveness and serving and loving others at the way that Jesus loved us. But we've got to join the Holy Spirit in his, in his sanctifying work, in, in his, his work to make us. And so what God is doing in this sifting effect is he's sifting us out so that he remains. 
right? He's, he's getting all of us out of the way so that we are, we are that, that the gold is what, is what remains. And, and because he wants his image to be realized in our lives. And, and the goal is just that we're not fighting with him, but that we're sharing this, this road that's marked out. You know, we're told, Peter says, you know, why are you surprised by the fiery trials in your life as if something strange is happening to you? Don't you know that this is meant to conform you? And so we, we were called to a totally, in maturity, as Christians, we're called to a totally different attitude. Jesus here shares that attitude and his disciples totally don't. Now let's give them a break. They haven't been filled with the Spirit yet, so they don't have the power to see these, these massive declarations of, of resolve and courage into fruition, right? They don't. Um, but they mean it. But Jesus does, and he models for us that, Father, though, though you slay me, yet I will praise you, that I will, I will walk out because I believe that you're good and what you're doing here is for your glory and the benefit. Uh, and Jesus, for the, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He proved it to us that this is, this, is, this, is the, this is the Christian journey. But how many of you love to suffer? How many of you love pain? Right? Like, but this isn't God's agenda. Right? Like, and so often we're praying, God, take the circumstances away. And God's going, just like he said to Paul, no, I'm not going to take the thorn in the flesh away. Because this is what you need in order to be like me. And so he goes through us. Let me ask you a question. Did, did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go into the fiery furnace? Right? But, but where was God in that? He was with them. He was with them. And that's what he promises, that he'll be with us. But our challenge, uh, you know, what, like he says, we see here with the disciples is, don't run off. Don't scatter when things get hard. Don't, don't run away when, 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 when the suffering comes and when the, the heat gets turned up. Because look, God knows. He knows. Like he's doing something glorious there and he's calling us to a posture of pure joy. And that, that contrast not only builds maturity, but is the greatest witness to, our, to the world when rather than responding like, oh, get me out of, you know, like complaining and, oh, poor, that we're going, man, I am confident that God is doing something glorious in me and he's keeping me close. I was telling John this morning, I believe when we get to heaven, we're going to look back at the most painful and hard and difficult moments of our life and we're going to say, that's when it was going on right there. That's when God was doing his finest work in me. Because look, God's not wanting to give you more of you or more of this world. He's wanting to impart himself to you and that often comes through refinement. And heat is required. Do you know he's referred to as the consuming fire in the Old Testament? What's he trying to consume? And, and man, when we get it and we see it, then we're not going, God, why? We're going, God, teach me. Like, God, help me. Because when we look at this prayer in just a moment, we see what's the ideal prayer in this moment is not, you know, get them out of it, right? It's, it's Lord, like grow them through it. Increase their faith. Help th that their faith may not fail, right? There's this. So, so we see here in this text that the prophets have forecasted in Zechariah 13, 7 for this very moment. Listen, it's not lost on the disciples that he's the shepherd and they're the sheep that's going to scatter. 
right? They, they fully get what he's saying here and because we see their response. They're like, no way. There's no way. I mean, Peter has said just weeks earlier, he said this. He said, where can we go? You have the words to eternal life. And then he was asked, like, who do people say that I am? And they said, you know, all this stuff, you know, prophet here, Elijah, come back from the. And he says, no, but who do you say that I am? And Jesus, you know, John, I mean, Peter pipes up and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, you didn't come up with that, Peter. Heaven gave that to you because that's the truth. And that's what I'm going to build my church upon. Right? And then moments later, he's trying to keep Jesus from where? Going to Jerusalem. He's like, I'm not letting you go. Now, Jesus sees his sweetheart in that. But Jesus, what does Jesus say? Get behind me. Right? Because Jesus is committed to the cross. Because he's committed to your salvation. Our salvation. He's committed ultimately to the Father's will. He's committed. And it doesn't like, look, there are so many things that people are committed to throughout life that they're willing to suffer for. Does a person that wants to be a, a professional athlete have to go through any sort of training or suffering? And are they willing to endure those things in order to, to, to realize the, 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 the glory they perceive? And so I love this part of what we just read. It says, after I am, I am raised up, Jesus says, join me in Galilee. By the way, which they never do until after they've seen him multiple times. Right? They're hiding out in Jerusalem, terrified that they're going to face the same result. And Jesus here invites them beforehand to a reunion after his resurrection. Isn't that beautiful? That's a foretaste of what he's ultimately doing. Right? It's, it's, it's perfect. Peter says he will never fall away. And I asked you earlier, did he mean it? I believe he meant it with all of his heart. But the problem is, in our own resolve, we can't bring about these, these lofty uh, declarations. We can't. But now, indwelled with the Holy Spirit, we have the power to see these things to fruition by his strength. Right? But here they are, wanting with all their might to never betray, never turn their back on Jesus, to follow him all the way to death and prison. Jesus always knew this. And loved and called Peter anyway. Isn't that sweet? Like Jesus knew that Pete. Did Jesus know Peter would deny him? I mean, like th there is nothing worse. Like you can list all the sins in the world. But the ultimate sin is this. I don't know you. Let me tell you why it's the ultimate sin. Because it's what keeps you out of heaven. Jesus said, depart from me for I did not know you. Peter did the worst thing he could do. He denied that he even knew him. Right? And, and isn't that a great example to us that there's nothing can, that can separate us from the love of God? That, that, that God's grace can overcome that degree of doubt? Right? Because, because who restores Peter later in, in, in John 21? Jesus comes to... Look, these boys never are in their own intentions. Remember, they haven't got the Holy Spirit yet 50 days later, right? But, but, but he, they never do it in their own right? Jesus is always coming to them to restore them and ultimately remind Peter three times around a charcoal fire where he denied him. Jesus always knew this and loved Peter, even, even called Peter, knowing this moment. Jesus knows our inability to fulfill our promises, but he always fulfills his. Isn't that good? 
Like he, he knows. But you know, what, you know what I believe with all my heart that he's pleased with in this moment with Peter and the boys? Is the sincerity of that statement. He knows they can't. But you know what? He knows they want to. And I, I believe there's, there's worship in that. I believe that Jesus loved, loves Peter's heart here. Yet Jesus tells him the truth that hours from now you will deny me three times. My, my, my question this morning is, can you relate to this? When your intentions and your declarations don't match your follow-through? Anybody relate to that? Where your declarations, Lord, I'll, I'll go to Egypt, I'll go to Africa, Lord, wherever you, you know, like, like, but let me tell you, those things can come to fruition if it's God's purpose in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. But we don't have enough resolve and courage and strength because it, it, it's, it, it's, let's not walk in our power but His. It's not by power or by might, but by my Spirit, we're told. Are you comforted by the fact that He knows and continues to faithfully love you? And the question we have to ask this morning is do you know Him? Do you know his heart? Do you know that, that though, though humanity, like and in all of his parables, he helps to unpack this, like humanity turned his back on him. They rejected, they, they endeavored to kill him. They did, the closest of friends denied even knowing him in his hour of need. He was betrayed by one of the, the, his disciples, and yet none of that deterred him from the Father's will to, to go to the cross. I mean, if we had that many excuses, would we not give up on a painful path? We don't even need the excuses. And, and, and Jesus set his heart to the Father's will and fulfilled his destiny and purpose. He shared the Father's heart. He authored this moment together with the Father and lived it out to perfection for you and for, 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 for me. And then the final verse in Matthew 26, 35, it says, Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the other disciples said, amen. Amen. Right? I just think, like, what's the difference between this moment with full sincerity and conviction and, and, and what happens after Pentecost where this is actually the case? The Holy Spirit. Like, are we walking in our strength or His? Are we walking in His will or ours? Because, like, God's going to get His will done, and if we're empowered, we're going to join Him as Je- through Jesus' example, like, maybe through trial and error, but we're going to join Him and see, like, because, look, is there power for God's will to be realized? Absolutely. Is there power for your real will to be realized? And that can be a very arduous path when you're fighting God on on, on the will of your life. So why did they fail to live up to this declaration? I think that's a, a valid question to, to what transpires. Because we, we've agreed that, that he's sincere, they're sincere in this proclamation, but they don't. They, their sincerity lacked power. But guys, we have been empowered by his spirit to to, to share his heart and his desire to conform to his will, to submit to his, to his will, his desire, his word, right? And that's what, how we love him back is through obedience. 
and, and we trust him. Like, isn't, isn't obedience, like, think about this. Isn't obedience a massive statement of, I trust you? I trust you. So our text this morning says this. From Luke's perspective, this is his, his uh, account. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded. Isn't that what Satan does? Like, of God. And you know what? We have to be careful that our prayers don't have that same inflection. Like, he's making demands. Uh, all right? Satan's demanded to have, and the you there is plural. If you study the Greek, it's plural. And so what he's saying is, is Satan demanded, and it's past tense. So this, this is a conversation that went on in heaven that Jesus is letting them in on. Right? And it's in the past, and he says, Satan demanded to have all of you. That's what he's saying. That he might sift you all like wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon. Then, it, then it, the you becomes plural. I mean, uh, singular. He says, he says to, to, to the one that he's calling to be, the, to be the, the strengthener of his brothers, right? He says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And did you notice that it says that he's, I'll, I'll point this out later, but I think it's so sweet that he's telling him he's going to fail when, when Peter's saying there's no way. And before he's even telling him he's going to fail, not before he fails, before he's telling him he's going to fail, when he believes he'll never fail, Jesus is already saying, I've already prayed for you. Is that not fantastic? That our advocate in heaven, our mediator, our king, that's making petition before the Father's throne uh, all the time, has already prayed for us before we even are told we're going to, must less, before we fall. And what's his heart? What, and, and the other thing is we have to read here is what is he praying for, right? Like, don't you want to join Jesus in praying what he prays? Because I believe that when we pray anything in Jesus' name, we can count that it's coming to fruition, right? It will be done. Like, we're, we're, that's a promise, right? So it goes on to say, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Guys, do, do you pray that prayer? Not that, they, that, that the tragedy, the circumstances would change, but because this is going to be hard, right? This is going to be an opportunity for the enemy to, to breathe doubt and fear, for them to be sifted, right? And Jesus has already prayed for them this one thing, that they would trust him, that their faith wouldn't fail. I think that's very telling. And, and when you have turned again, turned again what's he talking about when he says turned when you've repented when you've come back when you've returned right and he says again because isn't that the christian life <laughs> anybody like we just keep having the the glorious privilege in the cross of returning and returning and hopefully that those those you know repentance comes quicker and quicker to us because we know we can't live without him and we don't want to right so like and when you have returned again, this is, this is so sweet. He says what? What does he say to do? Strengthen your brothers. Do you know that when you experience what the Bible says as the refreshment of repentance, do you know, that, that God, you know what God wants you to do with that refreshment? Strengthen the brethren. Man, we're so quick to think that this, this is all for my benefit. Jesus died for me, 
right? Like this is, this is, but like, and he did, but he did it so that you could do for others what he did for you, right? And so like the, the outcome of your repentance that brings refreshment and, and liberty is meant to be a catalyst to strengthen your brothers, right? Because, and why is he specifically talking to Peter? It's, it's the reason that the scriptures are written mostly to men, because you're supposed to be the servant leader. You're supposed to be the one that sets the pace and, 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 and charts the course that, that, that is willing to take the, the first punch as Jesus did for us. And that's why he goes after him on the Sea of Galilee and restores him and reminds him of his calling and says to him this, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Take care of my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Right? He restores him in his, in his ministry. And now what does he expect him to do? Help me? Strengthen his brothers. Right? That's what we do with the invigoration of the Spirit, the liberty, the joy that we are given on the other side of, of repentance. Do you know that we're invited? Right? We're invited into this, this refreshed state of, of, of liberty and freedom that the cross has paid the full price for our sin and that we can walk in that in a perpetual state but produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to both prison and to death. Jesus said to him, like, I mean, he's going, look, the devil's going to sift you. He's, he's looking to create fear and doubt. He's trying to sift all of the opportunity here for your calling. He's trying to sift your calling out. He's trying to sift out any faith you have in me. And he wants, he wants, what, what he wants to remain is doubt and fear. Right? And that's always the, the enemy's agenda, the messenger of Satan in the midst of the test that the Lord provides for the purpose of refinement. And Peter says to him, man, I'm going to prison with you. I, nothing will keep me from staying with you and following you, even death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow. And when he says this day, remember when the sun goes down in a Jewish context, the day has begun. And he's saying this day, right, before the cock crows, right, we, we see in one text twice, you'll deny me three times. Until you deny me, deny three times that what? That you know me. Why? Let me ask a question. Why did Peter say, I don't know him? I'm not with him. He's a Galilean. Surely he's one of them. But three times, he, and when it says calling, calling down curses, we're not talking about bad words. Okay? And, and that's coming up in a few weeks. What, he's saying that he called down curses on himself because that's what we do when we deny Christ. That's what it's saying. Isn't that amazing? Like to really put that into perspective. But like what, what is Peter, what is, what is Peter saying when he says, I don't know him? Help me. I don't want what he's facing. I don't want to go through, I'm not going to follow him anymore. I'm, I, I'm not, he's saying, I, I, I'm not known to him and he doesn't know me. Right? I'm not, I'm not joining him anymore. I'm not with him. In fact, as we, and I'll close with this passage in just a moment, just so that uh, we'll preach it later, but I just want you to see the fruition of this moment that Peter, that Jesus is forecasting for. But in this moment, like, like it says in the passage that 
for the first time in Peter's relationship with Jesus, it says he followed him at a distance. And you know when we follow Jesus, are you following Jesus at a distance? Are you following him intimately and closely as the pledged bride of Christ? Or are you fo- because when we follow him at a distance, when we're faced with the opportunity to acknowledge that he's mine and, and, and I'm his, we might deny. So some thoughts here. We are brought into heaven's conversation. Behold, Satan demanded to have you like, we're brought into, it's almost like Job 1, right? Job 1 and 2, we're like, we're brought into this conversation that, that you know, Jesus is familiar with, that, that the enemy before he, this moment had, had demanded to sift them. Satan wants to sift the saint. Do you believe that's true? The father of lies wants to reveal fault and doubt and fear in your life. He wants to sift out anything that is good or any, any orientation towards trusting the Lord. Right? Maybe, or, sorry, our Father, on the other hand, uses these moments to test our hearts and purify us. He is looking for gold. So guys, the circumstance is the same, but God's heart and agenda is in, in, in total contrast to the enemy's. And so you have to ask yourself, who are you, who, whose message are you, are you listening to? God, I know you're up to something good here. This hurts. This is hard. Please be with me. Strengthen my faith so I can trust you in the storm. Right? Or you can be over here. Why, God? Why are you putting me through? Do you hate me? You're so mean. And it might not sound like that, but a lot of times that's what we hear. Get me out of this. Take this away from me. And, 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 and I, I think we hear what he said to Paul. No, no, no. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect right here in your weakness. God doesn't want to take away what he's authored for the purpose of your sanctification and refinement. Let's quit complaining about what God has authored in our life because that's exactly what the Israelites did. He poured his presence out upon them. He joined them right there in the midst of the desert and all they could do was grumble and complain. Did you know Jesus is praying for you? I mentioned this earlier, right? Before you face the temptation and the test, because there's two agendas going on here. God doesn't tempt, but he surely tests, and he hopes that you will count it joy because you know something, that this is for your maturity, and that you would know me, and that you'd be looking like me, right? But did you know that Jesus is like, Please, please add this to your understanding of what God is doing for you right now in, the, in your King Jesus. Like, you, you haven't even faced things that he's prayed that your faith will not fail. And that when you turn, you'll strengthen your brothers. Does that not, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited. I'm pretty, I'm pretty motivated and comforted by the fact that I know Jesus has prayed for me before I even knew about my failure, much less walked in it, prayed for me. And his hope was that I wouldn't fail. And what overcomes the failure? Can you help me? Trust God. Faith. Faith in him. Whatever you're going. Anybody going through something today? 
Do you know what the answer is? And it's really the, 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 the road to maturity. And it's, and it's your witness to the world. It's how you overcome. Testimony, right? His blood and testimony. And so like, do, do you know that your witness is great when, when you, in the midst of it, say, I trust you, Lord. And, and I'm going to count it pure joy because I know that this isn't bad. It's actually what makes me better. So I'm going to count it pure joy. Do you think that anybody in the world is going to go, what's up with that guy? I mean, it's kind of like the picture or the illustration of the burning bush, right? It's, it's on fire, but it's not consumed. It's lit. It's shining, but it's not burned up, right? Why, why aren't they burnt up by this adversity? Why isn't this desert experience consuming him too? Well, because he trusts the Lord. And that, that's the living water that you'll never thirst again. That's the bread of life that, that sustains you no matter what the circumstances. And that's why it was manna in the desert. What does Jesus pray for here? That his faith won't fail. Do you know that heaven has praying? Not that, you're, that it would be easier for you. Not that it'd be harder. But that your faith won't fail in it. Like, and do you know that, that Jesus gets what he wants? So can you... Can we, can we share his objective and go, God, strengthen me? Do you know that the only thing the disciples asked for? Increase my faith. Increase our faith. Doesn't that make sense? I, I think it's fantastic. Maybe we should follow Jesus' example, and when we're praying for others, we're not praying that they would, their circumstances would change, but maybe they would change through their circumstances because that's God's heart and, and agenda. And maybe we, we would embrace that for our own selves, that we're not trying to get out of things, but we're trying to count it joy in them because we believe God's doing great things here. How do we pass the test and overcome the temptation? Trust him. What test or temptation are you facing right now? What are you facing right now? Because look, it's like Jimbo used to say, you're either in one, you're, 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 you just came out of one or you're being prepared to go into another one. Like, like God is relentless in the test. And you think, oh, that's exalted. No, it's not. Because that's what, what's required for us to be conformed to his image. Like, guys, God doesn't need to change. We do. And what is prayer's purpose? Purp the purpose of prayer is not to change God. It's not. It's not to get God to do what we want. It's not to convince him by, by our endless petitions that really you, you're not seeing it, God. This is what I really need. And because all the time he's saying, what you really need is more of me, right? And that's what I'm up to. And, and this, this trial is actually for your benefit. Trust me in it and you will shine, right? So trust him. Follow him closely. Believe he is who he says he is and his promises are true. Jesus has prayed for you. Take comfort in that. Look for the narrow path. Don't look for the wide road that leads to destruction. Don't look for the out. Don't look for the easy path as it's described. But, but endeavor, like, don't you want the character of Christ? Don't you want the maturity? And you're like, uh. but see, most of the time when people are like, I don't pray for patience, right? Because, but Look, is God not good? Is he not the, 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 the vine dresser that prunes at the most appropriate times because he knows what's best? Like, like that's a statement. I, you know, I, I don't know if God's going to give me something I don't want. You know, Well, chances are he will, but he wants it because it's what's best for us. And we have to trust him in it. 
and believe that his heart and agenda and his objectives are to conform us to the image. And we don't get there any other way. Because as I was talking to John this morning, here's the deal. When life is easy and everything's smooth, we don't grow. We actually become very ungrateful. I mean, that's, that's a catalyst for, for a, you know, self-sufficiency, right? All of those things. Look for the narrow path. Jesus said that path is hard, hard. The road less followed. Trust him despite the circumstances and the resistance. Expect that you're going to be sifted, especially if you are endeavoring to be a kingdom kid, right? It's going, Jesus said, when you have returned again, right? Jesus knew that Peter would turn. Because he knows our future from our beginning. Like, and, and here's the thing. His heart is, is that we would, we would walk in repentance. Do you need to turn again today? Do you need to turn again today? Are you following him at a distance? Are you following him closely? Have, have, like sometimes we, I think Peter followed at a distance because he, 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 didn't, want, he didn't want what God wanted in that moment. Like he didn't, he didn't want to be, like he didn't want to follow Jesus here. And sometimes we're, we're going, I don't know if I can follow Jesus there. And, and Jesus is saying, come with me and trust me. My spirit will, will, will. I mean, like when, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked out of the fiery furnace, do you know what it says? They didn't even smell like smoke. The guy that put them in there died putting them in there. Like, he's with us. Like, that's what he wants us to, you know, like when, 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 uh, when Jesus was sleeping on the cushion in the stern of the boat in the midst of the storm and the disciples were saying, you know, like, we're going to die. And he said, they actually come to him and say, don't you care if we live or die? Like, they said that to God. Crazy. They said that to God. Don't you care if we live or die? I mean, that's, that's one of the wildest things. Uh, that's wild. But like, of course he does, right? But like, the first thing out of his mouth is this. He says, why are you afraid? And it's not because he doesn't know. It's because he's saying, I'm right here. I'm right here. What in the world do you have to be afraid of? I'm in control of all of it. And if that's true, then I'm actually authoring this storm in order to test your heart. Because I want you, you know what, you know what he says later on in that passage? I got to wrap up. You know what he says later on in that passage is this. He says, he says to them, guys, you know those 12 baskets you picked up from the 5,000? Look, they're right there. That's what he says to him. He, I mean, he didn't say it that way, right? But that's what he's pointing out. And he's going, you know, you have evidence of my, of my provision. And you're terrified in the next test. Anybody relate? Right? Like, uh, I'm tested and, and God comes through. He's faithful. I say this to my mom all the time. Has God let you, has, has he not been faithful ever? No, no, he's, he's always like incredible testimony. And I'm like, so why is he not going to be faithful right here? Right, like, but yet then, then we go into the next storm. We got evidence of God's faithfulness all around us. And we're going, God, don't you care if we live or die? But look, isn't that the journey of faith? Like, like look, God understands, but, but he still calls us. And that's why he over and over again says to the disciples, oh, you of little faith, because that's the antidote. It's not saying you of anything else, like, because faith is the answer. And he says, oh, that your faith would not fail. 
Do you need to turn again today? Do you need to repent and experience the refreshment that only comes from saying, God, I can't, but you can. God, I'm sorry I didn't trust you here. God, I'm sorry I followed you at a distance and I ran off when you needed me most. And when you provided an opportunity for me to, to stand at your feet at the midst of your demise, I, I, I was hiding over here. And when you gave me the opportunity to witness to my friends, I, 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 I was ashamed. Right? Do, do you know that God knows and he's prayed for you and, and that you can come back and you can say, God, I'm sorry, but I, but I learned and, and, and help me to next time to embrace that moment and to be fully resolved and to trust your spirit for the confidence and power to get it done. Look, let's stop trying to live out the Christian life in our own strength. Only by his power. When you can't, and that's a lot, just remember he can and so when you feel like you can't live out a, a, a precept or a, a command that God, I don't know, I'll just be very simplistic. Love your enemies. How you doing? Right? Forgive as you've been forgiven. How you doing? Right? Like, but what I'm saying is you can't do that. It's a miracle. It just said, what you say is God, help me to love her. Help me to love him. Help me to forgive her. Help me to forgive him. And when the enemy sifts you in that, you say, help me again, Lord. Here I am again. Help me to love him. Help me to love her. Help me to forgive her. Help me to forgive him. We can't, we can't do it without him. It's pretty, we, we see that in this text today. We are told in Scripture that we can turn again to him over and over and over again. And my question is, have you returned to Jesus? Have you turned to him? Have you, listen, don't, don't wander off. We like sheep are prone to stray. Like he is your breath, your life, your hope. The closer you are to him, all the fruits of the spirit become demonstrated through your life. Apart from you, you can do nothing. Like let's live as if that's the, that's the fact. And it is. Like you need him more than you need a, a, a physical breath to have any eternal impact. And we don't live like that. I shouldn't say we don't. Sorry, Charles. We should. We will with his help, right? What does Jesus tell Simon to do after he turns? Just want to make sure you're paying attention. What, what does he say? Guys, do you know that the other side of refreshment, and boy, it, our Christian life should be a perpetual like, turning, right? Returning, 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 right? Let produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do you know what the, the, the refreshment that we have? Any, anybody experience refreshment after repentance? Hello? Like, I mean, like, I mean, it's, it's beautiful, right? It's just, it's like, wow, I'm forgetting. Like, like, it's not just something that we convince ourselves of. It is, it is the Holy Spirit refreshes us in our soul, Right? And, uh, and then in that moment, all that refreshment is meant to be a strengthening to others, right? We, we, we've been blessed to be a blessing. We've been given to give. So I read this final piece here as a close. And, and I, just wanna, I, I just felt like this would be good to read as a foretaste of what's coming. But it also t t shows us what happened. What Jesus said would happen hours from that moment. It happened. And this is what happened. It says, this is 22, later on in the chapter, verse 54 to 62, it says, Then they seized him, Jesus, and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the, the courtyard and sat down together, 
Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I, I, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else said to him, saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Can you imagine? And the Lord turned and looked at him as he was being tortured And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Have you ever made lofty promises to God? Please know that he knows your heart and future. He also knows our limits and our potential. It is not by power or by might, but by my spirit that these things have any potential to come to fruition. Let us, let's not put our confidence in what we will or won't do, but in him and walk by faith and not by sight. And as James says, man, look, let's not be arrogant in saying, I will do this and I will do this and I will. You know that if you look in, 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 in uh, I, think it's, uh, I think it's Ezekiel, that's what the devil said. I will, a throne to, I will ascend to the throne. I will, I will. Right, like, and, and James says it's arrogant. You don't know. He says, rather you should say Lord willing. Right? And, um, and then Pete, it says, one of the things I just want us to hear is Peter was brave, but his courage failed him. We can't walk in our own resolve and bravery, not in our own courage. Worship team, if you would come to close us out, um, my final thought is the Lord will never fail us. Though we fail, though we're faithless, he is faithful, right? Like we have to remember the Lord will never fail us. Trust him. Do you know that uh, someone was so blessed by this this week and I want to share it with you. Do you know the Bible says trust no man? Do you know it says that? Do you know the the one you need to, that man that you need to not trust the most? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and your path will, your path will make straight. Trust no man, but wholly and solely and totally and completely trust him. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.